This girl from my past, that ridiculous ass. She attended UMass and she passed every class. Walked down the hall with a stuck up sass, broke the basketball plate. See, it's time to pay dues, deliver the news. Like UMass, we refuse to lose. Yeah. I like a really huge ass. Bend over, take her to church, that she a UMass. I think I'd rather die in a nuclear war than go to Olympia. <laughs> Okay, ladies and gentlemen, good evening. This is the debut episode of Season 4 of the UMass Basketball Podcast. It is Friday evening, October 16th. We are one day away from the start of UMass football season. My name is Curry Hicks-Sage. I am your host. We are thrilled to be back here. I am cutting this intro. It's about 9.15. I interviewed... Tonight's guest, uh, two, no, three nights ago. Holy smokes. So you're going to get this hopefully Saturday morning. Uh, you can listen to it before the game, sit back with a uh, micro brew, or if you're one of those insufferable types, um, or whatever it is you do, and uh, just rock out. You know, listen to the episode before UMass takes on Georgia Southern in the first. UMass Athletics event of any sort in seven and a half months. It's been a long seven and a half months. I hope we all get together on Twitter tonight and can mix it up. And, uh, you know, if you're out there and you're a little bit tech savvy and you want to set something up where me or tonight's guest, uh, or I should say I, yeah, I or tonight's guest, Zach is God, um, can mix it up would love to do that when i cut the interview i was fairly exhausted and it's still a good interview but it's probably not my highest energy because i'm just gonna be honest it's hard to generate immense energy for a three or four game pandemic uh ridden or no not pandemic ridden but for a pandemic football season it's weird it's 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 weird but i'm excited and I hope you enjoy tonight's guest, Zach is God. It is his second time on the show. He was on our show to preview the football team last year. And, you know, he, he's he's got an immense amount of knowledge about this program, and that's the guy I always want on talking about it. So I'm cutting this intro because Bennett reminded me I hadn't done so, and the game is tomorrow. Now, it's a good thing I hadn't because today – some major news came down from the NCAA, sort of out of nowhere. It came down and the national commentariat was chiming in. And UMass basically was dealt some uh, sanctions, uh, modest penalties by the, from the NCAA in one of the, even by NCAA standards, one of the more egregiously dumb offenses, quote, and I put offenses in air quotes, I've ever heard of. I, I couldn't even get through the complaint. It was so ridiculous. And just, I mean, the Kafka-esque bureaucracy of the NCAA. By the way, I don't really know what Kafka-esque means. I know Franz Kafka was a writer. I've never really read him, but uh, it sounds it sounds sort of savvy. Um, but in all seriousness, the way the NCAA functions is, is so 
is so bizarro world. And I'm going to explain why this set of circumstances is actually a good thing. And I didn't put this on Twitter because I don't want the NCAA to see. And yeah, I think they searched their name. Um, here's why it's a good thing. So long story short, I guess it was like, you know, and if I'm wrong with this, someone explain it. We were dishing out like we it's basically a, a reporting error, an accounting error, an administrative oversight in which we were falsely calculating some sort of like uh, room and board payments that kids get. And something with the formula was awry such that we were giving kids by accident a few hundred dollars more than they are technically allotted under whatever. And if I'm getting this wrong, someone just jump in on Twitter. We self-reported it because that's what you do with the NCAA. You self-report in the same way you do with the IRS, right? There are like something like, and I may be making this up, I don't know, 12,000 IRS agents and, you know, a couple hundred million taxpayers. Likewise, the NCAA, there's like a thousand schools across all divisions. And I once heard that for men's basketball, there were four full-time investigator regulators. I don't know how accurate that is. The point of it is they don't actually want to do – they don't actually have the time or the resources to go after everybody. So they ask that you self-report. But as this case showed, self-reporting was dumb because we self-reported like $9,000 worth of like mistaken payments to tennis – women's tennis players and men's basketball players five years ago. And they – we had to pay $100,000 in legal fees and got, you know, a $10,000 fine, whatever it was, $5,000 fine. I forget. So dumb. Bamford was right to push back and the A-10 commissioner backed us up. And basically the entire country was like, you know, from every national reporter on down, Jay Billis, the whole nine, were like, this is so dumb. And it shows why people do illegal shit, because when you self-report like some genuine, you know, little mistake of administrator five years ago you get dinged i mean it's fucking insane they're vacating wins apparently like this is bananas not that i give a shit because they're vacating wins from three of the uh most unmemorable seasons in umass history uh followed only by the first two of the mccall era if we're being totally frank um actually the first one wasn't so bad so uh the final three seasons of Derek kellogg's tenure at umass are uh, null and void uh, not that they weren't anyway emotionally in, in, in your mind. Um, but needless to say, uh, here's why it's a good thing. My theory, and I say this with positively zero proof uh, of this theory. There's, this is not uh, backed by any sort of data, research, anything besides the Curry-Hicks-Sage hunch. That ever-rigorous methodology known as my tortured, addled UMass fan brain. Here's why it's good. The NCAA can only go after, in any capacity, so many people, so many schools at a time ever. So here we are, we report it, we do the right thing, the press comes in, crushes the NCAA, and now the NCAA is going to be on to other shit. So, or this is my hope, unless they're listening to this podcast, in which case they might want to spite me and get us in trouble, and you can all blame me when the real scandals break and um, we learn about, uh, you know, who was getting paid in the Kellogg era. Alas! That wouldn't really be that bad either, because he's gone. So anyway, I'm not even saying that happened. Just, just, Just sort of speaking off the cuff. 
And uh, here's the thing. Um, now, the hope is they'll move on to somebody else. So, if we wanted to start illegally play- paying players now, they wouldn't be on to us for another decade. Because they haven't really come around for since the Final Four era, really. So, could be a golden age of cheating if we wanted to. But here's the irony. This staff on the basketball side operates clean. No joke. And let me just say, as long-time listeners will know, everyone should cheat because it's not actually cheating. Everyone should get paid. The kids should get paid. So you should be – everybody should be doing it. So I have no ethical problems with that. And lots and lots of people are. If you followed the Adidas scandal, you would know – if you you know look around at some of our competitors in the league and wonder how certain players ended up certain places, pretty good chance there was there was uh, some money involved. Weirdly, we don't do that. I'm not going to say that's always been the case. I'm not going to say that's been the case under mm, like pretty much any of the administrative <laughs> staffs in my lifetime. Lapis was kind of clean, but that worked out well. Said no one ever. Um, and again, clean is not admirable in this context because it's like if 85% of programs are, you know, funneling money to kids and you're not, like you're just beating yourself up. But this current staff operates like really cleanly, which is kind of funny because I think there's a perception that Bergeron, because he gets a lot of his guys from where he coached, is dirty. And just because of his affect but Bergeron's actually not dirty at all like he's just an aggressive motherfucker who people don't like for other reasons because he doesn't really take anybody's shit (laughs) he's kind of an asshole in like a way I like but he doesn't pay kids if he did he'd be getting fucking you know eight more Trey Mitchells um anyway Tonight's program, fourth season. I want to thank all of you for having been with us, many of you from the start. Some of you recall the A. Kalegi days, Andrew Kalegi, original co-host of this program, a.k.a. A. Kalegi, for longtime listeners. Now, what else was I talking about? i got to be honest with you. Right as I was finishing up that thing about uh, paying players and blah, blah, uh, my phone cut out, so I re-recorded. Or I, I didn't re-record, I just jumped back into where I was. Um, but yeah, my point is, this is all stupid, this incident, and uh, will probably blow over, but you could argue that it's weirdly a good time to do shady shit because the NCAA will probably be off our backs for a bit. Um, but alas. All right, Zach is God is next, and uh, let us know what you think of the show. And like it on iTunes and whatever else you listen to your podcasts and whatever other generic statements they say before a podcast begins. And there is, of course, one thing I've somehow forgotten. The fine folks at Five College Movers. World-class moving in the Pioneer Valley and beyond. Pat and the gang have been doing a booming COVID business as a lot of people change lifestyles. If you're looking to work at home and set up a home office and you need to get it brought in, call them up. Five College Movers. 
stress-free moving in the Pioneer Valley and beyond. Just world-class friends of the program and friends of UMass Athletics. Enjoy the show. All right, folks, my guest tonight is the one and only... Are you okay if I say your full name? I was just going to use Yeah, this. You, said, you said it last year. All right. My guest, as I consume some popcorn to launch season four of the UMass Basketball Podcast, in fitting fashion that we launched the UMass Basketball Podcast, the fourth season at the outset of football season, a little, late, a little later than usual, but the same guest as last year, none other. You know him as Zach is God on Twitter. It's UMass 2008 graduate from New Jersey, Zach Emery. And Zach, pleasure to have you back on the show. Thanks, Sage. It's a pleasure to be here. Didn't uh, necessarily think we were going to get to do this this year, (laughs) but uh, happy to say we uh, have a game on this coming Saturday. (laughs) We have a game. It's, It's a little surreal for me. For a number of reasons, but mostly because it's mid-October now, and we really should be, I mean, this would be like, back in the day, this would be like Midnight Madness Weekend or Homecoming. Right. And, you know, so it's a, it's a peculiar moment in the world, and obviously with the election and the pandemic, and it's just like, oh, there's UMass football this weekend, that's cool. And um, it is quite the uh, the roller coaster of uh, off season for sure. It's been an odd off season. Um, not much chatter about like actual on field stuff. There's just been so much chatter in both in all UMass sports really, but about you know the impact of the of the world's events on the future of of these programs. But we've not really gotten into the nitty gritty of the rosters and the real stuff. So not that the other stuff isn't real. <laughs> In fact, I should say we haven't really got into the fake stuff. Um, right. So let me, before we jump in, I was writing some notes today before the episode and I was, I was saying like, here's my recollection of last season based on how I experienced it as a fan. Okay. And then that's going to sort of segue into like how all of that, leads into this year, what it means, et cetera, et cetera. So it's week one. It's like the last weekend in August. It's a Friday night. You, me, a lot of listeners of this program, a lot of UMass Twitter people get together for a historic tailgate at Rutgers to, to mark the launch of the Walt Bell era appearances by the likes of Ryan Bamford, Matt McCall, Samba Diallo making an appearance. Uh, we the, had the Rutgers. Rutgers athletic director came by. Did he really? <laughs> yeah, he, he, nobody at Rutgers wanted to talk to him, so he came by and talked to us. Oh, Pat Hobbs. <laughs> yeah. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. He's actually a pretty charming dude. Um, yeah. A Tyler O'Day. Tyler O'Day was there. Um, Alan Pandiani. Oh, now you're getting into sure. I mean, if you want to, I mean, <laughs> Sitch was 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 manning the grills. I mean, we had we had Law B. Morell, a uh, New Jersey uh, defense attorney, and. Uh, UMass fan who was tossing out sunglasses with this company name on it. I mean, it was electric. Shane, Shane Huber came by. Oh, I didn't see him. Okay, okay. 
<laughs> former middle linebacker. So it, it was vibes on vibes on vibes, as the kids would say. And and so sorry, what did you say? I said absolutely. I said that was it was a it was a legendary uh, tailgate. So sure. we enter we enter the uh, quite nice stadium, Americas. I was actually very impressed with their game day experience, top to bottom. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. And UMass, under the leadership of 17th year senior and New Jersey native Randall West, leads the team down the field and quickly jumps out to a 21-7 lead. Was it a 7-0 game and then they got 21 unanswered? Or was it like, no, UMass scored first, Rutgers scores, and then UMass scores two more. It's 21-7 at the end of the first. And basically from that moment on, UMass proceeded to put together the worst season in the history of FBS football. You could not with not. Well, I'm going to caveat that. I'm going to caveat that. I was being a little dramatic. Notwithstanding the surprise victory over Akron at home in week four, UMass then proceeded to put together the worst season in FBS football history. The worst defensive season in the history of FBS by any metric. And uh, offensively, they were 118th out of 130. So you could say, you know, maybe not the worst. But from there on out. I, that, I don't know, though. That, that first Charlie year was might, you know, might be able to compete with this for sure. Well, it, it, I thought that, too. But at one point last year, I, I actually looked and the average margin of defeat was considerably higher under Bell. Right. But you were playing in the map last year. So, yeah, but yeah, you could I, argue I, last year's schedule was as bad, if not worse, than the MAC schedule. Yeah, it, listen, it was it was a total, you know, let's rebuild, ground up, uh, weird season with some leftovers, but mostly a lot of Bell young guys. But it was it was just a weird year. <laughs> All right, so what I remember from then on out. I mean, obviously, I remember week two. I don't think I watched the game, but I was like, holy shit, they just lost by four scores to an FCS team in Southern Illinois. I'm not even sure if they made the playoff, did they? Uh, no. Okay. So they lost to a mediocre FBS team, FCS team at home by 25 points. And then from that point on, after the Akron win, it was an unmitigated disaster the rest of the way. We knew it was going to go that way by week two. Um... And I remember kind of tuning into the FIU result. Was it FIU or FAU? I forget. FIU, FIU. And yep. just I watched a quarter or two, and we were, we were handed like a 44 nothing loss. And by that point, I was just like, all right, I'll see you in 2020. Well, listen, uh, let me just go back to the FIU game real quick, because you knew that there was nothing good going on for UMass because the FIU announcer was so desperate to talk about something for UMass that he actually brought up me in the athletic article about crazy UMass fans who get to root for a very poor football team. <laughs> <laughs> when the, uh, e, well, it's like it's not an ESPN U. It's uh, what ESPN three. ESPN three. Yeah. Right. Internet only. ESPN three. Forty-four nothing, and they're talking about Zach is God, and it's not a good. It's not a good moment for the for the program. That may have been the the low point in a, yeah. in a season full of them. But um, 
the point is that after that game, I was just like, all right, I'm done here. And and I don't think I've ever totally checked out of a season like in, in that. Like, I think the rest of the way, I mean, I guess I'd watch the highlights, but I wasn't – I don't think I watched a snap from there on out. I mean – Army, the Army game, I was at UMass, uh, UVA hoops, so I wasn't there. Then the, I think the Northwestern game, there was like maybe another UMass football game that day or it was Thanksgiving weekend. I don't know. It was like, I, I was done. I mean, I, and it wasn't like, I didn't, I didn't say it negatively. It was just like, all right, there's just no point here. Like, so a lot of that season for me was just checking the box score and then seeing people on Twitter. And the big right. theme on Twitter after a while, you know, because of the limited roster size, they had so few guys on scholarship. They were the, the roster was down to what, like 55 guys at one point on scholarship. Oh yeah, we had we had preferred walk-ons starting at defensive tackle because we had so many injuries and all you know sorts of different situations. Guys suspended, guys left the team, this, that, whatever. It was crazy. So it got to a point where. Um, but but so the but so I never expect anything defensively based on just all the changes and like the rebuild and it's very hard to play true freshman on, on a lot of these positions and I sort of got that. But the one thing that stuck as a theme and I think the one and I, I like Walt Bell I'm still behind him I had him on the show I enjoyed his appearance like you know we've messaged here and there in the off season he did send me some merch so shout out to Walt but. The one thing that I think the fan base or, or, or segments of the fan base were vocal about, at least on Twitter, throughout the final five or six or seven games, was the quarterback play, uh, particularly the decision to play, is it Brito or Brito? Uh, Brito. Andrew Brito, New Jersey native, um, to play him, to stick with him, Despite his struggles and what much of the fan base, at least the vocal on segments of the vocal online fan base, uh, felt was in you know inferior talent to Michael Curtis and Randall West, who are both you know I think both were fifth year seniors. Randall West was a seventeenth year senior, as I mentioned. Yeah. But um, you know, and I understood the rationale there, right? It's like, well, let him fuck up and, you know, take his lumps because at least you're building towards something for next year. I say all that now noting that today the uh, Too Deep came out. Was he called the Too Deep in, fo- in football, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's called Too Deep, yeah. The roster, you know, the tentative roster. And he's not even in the Three Deep as a quarterback. No. So I think I, I think this you know I really do think though it had more to do with Bell just wanting to make some sort of culture point. Okay. And I don't know what was going on in practice and everything, but it from the limited comments that he's made about it in the past, um, I think it was more Rito was buying in um, to some of the stuff that was you know Bell was working on and I think it was more that I don't think it was necessarily I think he knew the season was kind of you know it was what it was um completely undersized undermanned um and I think he was just trying to make a point that hey if you 
you know, we need to buy into my culture change of this. And Curtis and Wes uh, maybe weren't. Well, in fairness, the numbers, I was looking them up, the numbers between West and Brito were not, on paper at least, terribly different. Uh, I think West had a slightly higher completion percentage and maybe threw less picks, but they were fairly similar. Am I not mistaken? Am I mistaken? No, yeah, it, was, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't too, too crazy different. I mean, Brito obviously got more of the snaps, but... But I do think um, and anything suggesting that Randall West did not buy into the culture, to me, if, that, if, if in fact that's what Walt's trying to intimate, that's not a great look for Walt because everybody knows Randall West is a good kid. Like, there's so... And, and I actually had some folks from the camps. I don't want to get too into the gossip here and live in the past, but we do have to review what happened last year. You know, I've mentioned on the program before, but one of the, I guess, strange privileges I have of doing this show and uh, being active on Twitter is I get DMs from all sorts of characters. It's kind of my favorite part of it. And the DMs from the pro-suspended players camp before that Akron game, and there were several of them, primarily seniors. Yes, it was the roommates. They were late. They, they didn't make curfew. There was a lot of people in their camps out of the woodwork jumping in, and I'm not going to say much beyond that, um, suggesting that that was more of a statement than uh, something born out of like actual problems and that it was a little bit arbitrary and capricious shall we say and it like that it was almost which you know coaches do you know is bell trying to impress a point but that the underlying offenses were not serious or even like it's they nobody told me exactly what went on but they were all like they didn't do anything like it was effect you know whatever happened there i don't know it obviously worked because they won the football game, but I, I just refuse to believe that Randall West was involved with any sort of like serious culture challenges within the program. And if he was, then I'd probably put that on Bell. But I don't care because he was. I was expecting them to go one and eleven in this first year anyway. So I, I mean, I don't, don't want to. But I'm just saying, like, he stuck with Brito. You're saying for culture reasons. Well. Okay, cool, but at least you would have hoped that that would lead to something this year. And now he's been replaced by a redshirt senior who I'd never heard of, who was two for two last year for 40 yards and was a walk-on. I don't even think he's a scholarship player. He's a Massachusetts kid, Mike Fallon? Yeah, well, he he transferred from, I think it was Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart, yeah. Yeah, so I I mean – Listen, I don't think uh, – I mean, we can get into when we start going through the roster. I don't necessarily think Mike Fallon's going to – I mean, I could be wrong. I was wrong last year. I thought Michael Curtis was going to be the starter. Um, but, I mean, I think it's going to be Josiah and Coke that are going to see predominantly a, a lot of the snaps here. Um, Sorry, you said Mike who? Is, uh, Josiah Johnson and uh, Will Coke. Um, I think those two are going to see predominantly the – the amount, the, the most snaps, um, but we, I mean, we don't know how many games. We can talk about that too. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's just um, let's just go through quarterback play because it was obviously, you know, I think all things considered, last year 
the way I look at a first-year coach, at least in the in the mold of Mark Whipple, both times when he came back to UMass in both 98, and as anyone who listens to the show knows, I'm not a UMass football expert by any means, but I've been around long enough to sort of, you know, notice the broad strokes and trends. In 98, he came in after a 2-9 season. He brought Todd Bankhead with him as a JUCO transfer, if I'm not mistaken. Led him to a 12-3 season international title. In 2014, when he returned, he brought Blake Fronapple from Marshall, who put up big numbers even in that first year and led him to three wins and some and a lot of close losses. And so even as he was remaking the program, whatever you want to say about Mark Whipple, the guy brought quarterbacks with him, you know, who were who were able to put some points on the board from from from, you know, the jump. So as much as you can't control everything, Bell does sort of fancy himself like a quarterback's guy, right? Correct. And you would have thought that with his recruiting acumen and his, uh, you know, that that would be one area where you would at least bring in, you know, some sort of pull something out of thin air and find a Juco kid or, you know, whatever it is, a transfer, fifth year, senior, whatever. And, you know, be marginally respectable at that position. Brito appeared to be his you know where he where he put you know the eggs in that basket and it didn't work and now he appears relegated to you know fourth string or irrelevance what was the point of the the putting the eggs in the burrito basket in retrospect i don't mean to start on such a sour note i just i just am genuinely trying to figure out like the genesis of the roster and starting at you know the most important position on offense yeah i mean i think that i think last year was just i think he kind of you know it was late in the game when he was still you know recruiting it was a short recruiting turnaround to early signing day and um you know, I, I just think it was it was just a tough year recruiting wise. I mean, it just really was. Um, and I, yeah, I, Brito obviously didn't turn out to be what he was hoping. I mean, he was coming off a torn ACL, um, and he predominantly was a passer that had to get out of the pocket uh, because of his size um, to really make make plays. Um, and wasn't able to do that last year combined with, I think, our offensive line gave up 27 sacks last year, um, which is, isn't super, super terrible. We've given up more <laughs> in the past, but, um, you know, they were getting a ton of pressure um, all the time. And, and, yeah, it was just – there was a lot, of, a lot of issues last year that I think, like we said, are in the past, hopefully. And this is going to be – I'll get into my opinion of what this fall season is. But I, I think this is where we're going to start uh, getting Bell's, Bell's guys. So, quarterback. I, I got to get to quarterback. They got the kid, the Juco from California. He's gone. <laughs> oh, okay. They don't have the Juco kid from California. Where, what happened there? Uh, he left after winter break, from my understanding. Linquist, Kyle Linquist. And he was supposed to be pretty good, right? He was good at Butte College. I, you know, watched his highlight tape. It's okay. Um, he wasn't really getting recruited by too many places. Uh, I think like College of the Mines in Colorado or something like that was his other team that was recruiting him. But I don't know the story of why he decided to leave. 
Um, but uh, yeah, he's gone. All right, so let's uh, cross that off the list. So then, Josiah Johnson was he a Whipple recruit? Yes, he was a Whipple recruit. Whipple recruit, very athletic from like the Jacksonville area. Yep. So, and then this kid Will Coke, who's from Florida, led a, a legit high school team down there deep into the state playoffs and threw for you know almost two thousand yards. What's the deal here? Like, is there is there a viable quarterback on this roster? Like, is there a Division One caliber quarterback on this roster right now? You know, it's going to be interesting to see what Josiah does coming back from playing two years of tight end. Um, obviously, he's been continuing to work out at quarterback in the offseason and things. Um, you know, he always posted videos of him working out as quarterback. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he does. I think Will Coke, I think they're really high on him. Um, I watched his tape. His tape is pretty impressive. He's a little bit smaller. He's like a six-three guy. Maybe I think he's probably really like six-one, six-two. He can sling it um, though. He can definitely sling it. Yeah, I, I think that I think Bell's really high on this kid Brady Olson, who is going to be a freshman next year. Right. Um, from Mil- from Milford. Um, I think he's really high on him. I think that this year might be a test to see. Hey, Josiah. Hey, Coke. You guys are going to be, you know, but with Josiah, you're going to have three more years because of the new, you know, the change of the eligibility rules. And Coke, you know, you could conceivably have, you know, six years. Um, it's the Randall West program, if you will. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think he's going to see what's, what happens this fall. I think it's good uh, to get these guys a chance to get some snaps. And then Brady Olsen, I think, is going to be thrown right into the mix. Um you know uh next year so uh it's 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 gonna be i think we're probably gonna get three games maybe four max and uh i think that this is going to be the 2021 preseason uh that's how you know i'm gonna look at the season i you don't think i I know bell would never admit that um but um you know and i kind of asked that question at one of the Zoom calls and I, I got the, an- the answer that I assumed was gonna he was gonna say where no they're taking this season like it's every season. game matters and these guys right. compete blah, blah blah yeah yes but I mean listen nobody loses eligibility you're gonna get three or four games which is kind of like a preseason um, and and you know it's your chance to get guys out there on the field to see what they can do um, everybody that's on this roster with their year their your graduate. They're, they're all going to be the same next year. So freshmen are going to be freshmen. <laughs> you know, redshirt sophomores going to be redshirt sophomores. You're buying a, a preseason, which I think is honestly this is going to be very good for us. I, you know, this long season, term. Yeah, long term. I, I totally. I think that this season was going to be a very very difficult. We'd probably win maybe one game again this season if we had played that full season that we were supposed to. So. You know, there's not really any expectations now. If we can sneak out of this season with no big COVID breakouts on the team, I think the press is probably going to not even, you know, this anti kind of UMass Boston media thing that we've had in the past, I think is maybe just give us a pass this year. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, that's one encouraging sign. So (laughs) you're, you're sort of intimating that it sounds like the staff has looked toward 2021 as the time when they're really going to bring in a stud quarterback but 
you know, if you think of this as a <clears throat> Bell has sort of said that by his fourth year he wants to go to a bowl game, and you were, you know, and the roster and they were preparing for a regular season this year without a viable QB one, and then again in 2021 with a true freshman quarterback as the plan. You're sort of suggesting that the staff was like, yeah, we're we're going to give up three years at the quarterback position and then put our eggs in the basket of a true sophomore in 2022 to lead us to a bowl game. I didn't mean to be negative on this podcast, but that sort of seems a little fishy, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of the reality of where we are, though. I mean, we were left with basically, you know... Nothing. I mean, I know I've said this before on on Twitter, and and some people don't agree with me. And but I, you know, Whipple really did leave this team totally, you know, bare bones. I mean, I, you know, even with you know Andrew Ford graduating, there really wasn't a, a successor. I guess Michael Curtis was maybe his idea. I mean. I, you know, obviously, yes, maybe Whipple would have grabbed some other Juco like he's like he's been notorious for and usually did a really good job at it. But, um, you know, this, this team was left with not many options here. So it's it's a total rebuild. And if it's going to be Will Coke, uh, it might be Will Coke. If it's going to be Josiah Johnson, he's still got another three years of eligibility, you know, or it could end up being Brady Olsen next year when he comes in. It's it's going to be one of those three, I, I, in my opinion. I don't think uh, Mike Fallon's a, a really good kid from all um, reports, and I think he actually, you know, might even give us the best chance to win a football game um, this fall. But um, I I don't know if you know, it makes sense to play him when you know you got to get Josiah and Coke. Uh, well, well, so, so in a certain sense, you got you got to think that on some in some ways. Bell was banking on on Brito being, you know, that long-term guy he could build around. You got to think that that was where he put some of the eggs and some, you know, some eggs in that basket, right? Yeah, I guess. I don't know though. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he didn't. <laughs> Maybe he just knew that last year was going to be what it was, and uh, you know, had to just get through that season with whatever pieces he had, and and then figure it out this year. All right, well, it is what it is. Who else is there? Who else is back in terms of uh, guys who who showed some promise last year uh, at the skill positions? All right, so there's there's really not a ton. There's a lot of guys, like a lot of guys that left, but you got a lot of young guys that obviously are still with the team. I mean, you're gonna see. You're going to see about 15 true freshmen probably play snaps this Saturday. Um, so in terms of the guys coming back, you know, you got O.C. Johnson, that wide receiver, who, you know, had a pretty, you know, great, yeah, it was a great, but a pretty good, darn good freshman year uh, for what, what he was able to do. Um, you know, he had 272 yards receiving, you know, two touchdowns. Um, you know, he's obviously one of the nice young rising stars. And then you got Samuel Emelis, uh from Montreal, the, our Canadian wide receiver, um, who was one of the captains this year. Um, and, you know, he had a 
little bit of a disappointing year last year, I would say. I was expecting a lot more from him. I think I hyped him up a lot, actually. He was he was a Whipple guy, right? Yes, he was, yep. Um, and I, I was expecting a lot more from him. He had a couple pretty bad drops, but, I mean, hopefully he makes a rebound this year. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I mean, you had Cam Roberson played running back last year, but I don't think he's going to really play too much running back this year. He's probably going to return some kicks and maybe play some wide receiver. Um, that's about it uh, in terms of skill positions. Who's gone? Uh, who's gone? Let's see. Well, uh, you had Kevin Brown, who looked like he was going to be a pretty good player, but he had all sorts of off-the-field issues. He's at URI now. Um, standard, Lee, standard. Yeah, Bilal Ali uh, announced he was going to transfer out. I think he's actually ended up in Bilal Ali is another guy who's been playing football at UMass for since, uh, I think, you know, roughly 1999. Yeah. Um, you had Zach Simon, who opted out this season. I don't know if he's going to come back in the spring. He was really tall. Uh, no, kind of shorter guy, but um, pretty fast, speedy wide receiver from, I think he's from California. Um, you know, um, Brennan Dingle transferred out. He Brennan Dingle was running. good, man. Where did he go? Uh, I don't know where he ended up, but uh, I don't know if he ended up anywhere. But he's gone. Kyle Horn was our uh, tight end. He transferred to Arizona State. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that was basically our our kind of – Offensive guys last year. That was that was it. There wasn't much. I there was only. I think we only have fifty four returning points from last guys who scored points last year. <laughs> fifty four points from last season. Holy shit! So who's gone? Uh, that was yeah. That's basically it. Bilal's gone. Jesse Britt's gone. Kyle Horn's gone. Dingle's gone. Sadiq Palmer's gone. Zach Simon's gone. Wait, where did Jesse Britt and Sadiq Palmer go? They weren't seniors, were they? Sadiq Palmer was a senior. Yeah, he graduated. Okay. okay. Um, and Jesse Britt, he just, I think he quit football. Um, injuries and things, I think. So, um, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't much there to begin with, so... Wow. All right. Uh, this is more, even more grim than I was expecting. Well, but we got we got a lot of freshmen. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm gonna get to that. I wanna get to that. I wanna get to that. <laughs> what on the offensive side of the football? What are um, your reasons for optimism? Well, the offensive line, uh, basically everybody's back. Um, not basically, everybody's back. Um, so, you know, you got a whole offensive line that has been together since last year. They weren't great. Uh, um, there was a lot of injuries and things, but, you know, you do have a lot of guys back there that have played a lot of games, um, which is a plus side. They're, they've gotten bigger from all reports. Um, all the offensive linemen have gotten a lot bigger in the offseason. Uh, and you have some young guys and a transfer, uh, Reggie Marks, transfer from uh, Lackawanna College um, he's going to play right tackle probably or uh, actually no, I think he might play guard um, left guard actually um, but uh, you know him and then you got a couple of these freshmen Max Longman Johnny Hazard um, Joe Horn that are probably going to get some snaps here and there and but then what's yeah. the, what's the stud who's like legit NFL uh, Le, Le, um... Larnell Coleman is our left tackle um, he is the captain this year. He's going to play on Sundays, right? He might. Yeah, he's going to get a chance. He'll get a shot. He'll play. He'll get a mini camp. 
he'll get a mini camp look. I don't think he's going to get drafted, but somebody will probably give him a chance. Um, so you know, you know, he's he's definitely our leader, our left tackle, um, and that's why he's a captain. Redshirt senior, he's been there the longest. Um, but yeah, so that I mean, that's a that's a plus that you know, hey, listen, let's get a whole line back. They've got a year under this system. Um, they've gotten bigger. And, you know, Bell has said in, in, in you know, this whole offseason that he's going to try to run the ball more. Um, he, he said, I want big dudes, and I can, rec- I can recruit big guys up here, and I want to pound the football. So I think with the addition of Ellis Merriweather at running back, the JUCO transfer, transfer, uh, transfer from Garden City, um, you're going to see uh, more running this year for sure, or at least trying to. All right, that's encouraging. And Walt talked about that on my show. Um, you know, he said, like, it was sort of a misconception that he was this, like, spread him out, you know, pass-happy type. And he, he wants to play to the regional style, which, you know, who's going to run the ball between the between the te- this, this large offensive line? Yeah, so it's going to be Ellis Mer- Merriweather the, from Garden City to transfer. He's actually already been named a captain. So when you have a transfer come in, um, get named captain, you know, obviously he's made an impact already on the team. Um, and then you got uh, uh, Jared Cole, um, who is a freshman um, that was recruited to play running back. He's going to see uh, some snaps in there, too, obviously, when Ellis needs a break. Um, I don't know if maybe Cam- Cameron Oberson played a running back last year. I know they have him listed kind of as a running back slash wide receiver. Um, he'll probably still see some snaps at running back. Um, and you still have Nick Oracoya, who's been on the team forever, it feels like, too. Um, he might get some get some snaps in there. But it's probably going to be, you know, Merriweather and uh, Jared Cole getting most of the snaps. And Merriweather, you say Garden City, by the way, just so folks know, that's not Garden City on Long Island. That is Garden City in Kansas, but he's actually from Georgia. So he was right. a JUCO there for a year or two. Uh, I think he was there two years because he's a, he's a junior. Okay, so he'll get two years of eligible, technically three, I guess, because this doesn't count. So Right, yeah. Um, that's good for a guy like that to get four extra games, you know. It, it seems encouraging. And he's a pretty big dude. Um, so, it, you know, but that's there's a lot of question marks there. Um, so that's the offensive side of the ball. The defensive side of the ball was historically disastrous last year, and lost its best player of course isaiah rogers who is just you know ran back a touchdown for the colts this past weekend yep and lost their probably second best player in uh chinadu abano uh abana who's gonna who's just announced he's transferring so that was like recent uh yeah within the last couple weeks um man i can't even keep up with it yeah so he's he's transferring um and uh, I think he'd already opted out uh, earlier, but um, yeah, that's he was probably our second best player last year on defense, and uh, he's gone as well. So there's not much returning on defense. There's really the only guys you got returning on defense that played a substantial amount. And actually, uh, Jake Bisco was hurt a lot last year. He's actually uh, just reported today that the reason he's not on the on the depth chart is because he's still uh, a little banged up from practice, I guess. Um, so he's might not even be playing this week. Um, and other than that, you have the linebackers, Cole McCoubrey and Mike Ron, who obviously played a lot of snaps last year. Undersized linebackers, 
who have a lot of a lot of a lot of heart um but like i said our undersized guys but the you know other than that and then josh wallace um one of the captains um as well um our cornerback um you know he's he was a really good uh player last year as a freshman um and made a lot made a pretty impressive impact last season um he's back as well so other than that you're gonna see a lot of freshmen sophomores um, playing, there's a lot of young guys that played on the defensive line last year um, that got. Yeah, I think there was like six guys, seven guys that all got snaps last year on the defensive line. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be. You're going to get a lot of freshmen playing. I'm, there's some guys I'm really high on freshman wise. Who are you high on freshman wise? Who's going to play right away, and that we can expect you know to make plays this Saturday? Sure. So. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna murder this name, so I apologize to him. Uh, Vizarel uh, Alabidwidi. <laughs> I, I have to learn that one because he's gonna be a very good player for UMass for a while. Um, he plays like he's gonna play like a hybrid kind of D end, um, kind of outside linebacker, kind of stand up D end type position. Um, he's gonna make a big impact this year. Josh Atwood. Um, He's up to about 370 pounds. If you remember, if you guys remember from uh, his recruiting videos and stuff, he actually played uh, lacrosse as well and scored a ton of goals in high school. Um, at 370? At three, yeah. He was three, I think he was 340 in high school. I mean, if you can uh, walk at yeah. three at 370 and you're playing high school lacrosse, yep. I mean, there's, yeah. a, there's a legitimate chance that, you know, the kids you're playing against might die getting in your way. Yes, and so and he's already up to 370 from from what I've heard. And what is his name? He's my favorite player of the last three years. Right away. Josh Atwood. But I think by far our best recruit last year. He might be. He might be a long-term UMass Twitter meme. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> There's some good pictures. If you search back, if you search me and and his name on Twitter, I posted some pictures of him from lacrosse um, in high school, and uh, the kid could move. He scored a lot of goals. Um, Wait, and, and so what position does he play? He's gonna play like a nose nose guard kind of D tackle. Um, so is he is he gonna start as a freshman? I think so. Yeah, I think he's on the two deep. Let's see, they have him on the two. Where's he from? As uh, he's from Massachusetts, uh, I'd have to look up. The is he the kid from North Attleboro? He might. No, that's Moringer, Ethan Moringer, or something. Atwood is from. Say on here. Gosh, he's from Mass. Uh, he's from Mass, kid. Natick. He's a Natick kid. Not. You know who else is from Natick? Who? Doug Flutie. People forget that. Oh yeah, there you go. The opposite in terms of body type. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. So you know he's gonna start right away. Um, I, I think. I mean, he's on the he's on the on the three deep uh, for D tackle. Um, but uh, I think he's gonna see a lot of snaps. Um, you got the German Hugo Klages. I, I know he's been people have been high on him for. He's got a really good social media presence. I don't know if he's gonna probably start right away. Um, I, I don't think he is, but he'll see some snaps. I'm uh, high on him for the future, and then uh, from uh, linebacker-wise, Miles um, Turner and Abdul Cohn are probably going to see some snaps on Saturday. 
Abdul Kohn, or as I like to call him, Muslim Jew. <laughs> yes, that's perfect. He's a big dude. He's a big dude, strong, strong uh, linebacker. Um, he's probably going to see some snaps. And then in the defensive back backfield is where you know we kind of lost uh, you know a number of guys last year. Um, Tere Powell and uh, Tristan Armstrong, uh, Armstrong are probably going to see a lot of snaps back there. And Tere Powell is good, probably going to play um, kick returner as well. Um, and uh, and Cody Jones also another uh, defensive back freshman. You're going to see a lot of freshmen on the defensive side playing a lot of snaps this this season or preseason, in my opinion. <laughs> So this is a recruiting class that was pretty heavily. I mean, they, they were they were ahead of some Power Five schools, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah. No, this is the highest recruiting class that UMass has had ranked since uh, we moved up, um, which is saying you know a lot. Because honestly, actually, Char- you know, Charlie had a few pretty good classes, for, and which is, uh, that was, was his only thing that he, he did. No, he did. That. He did. <laughs> and, Tajay Sharp. Yeah, Whipple had a couple, you know, good recruiting class. A lot of those guys didn't stay. Um, but I uh, know this is the highest uh, ranked recruiting class that we've had since uh, since we moved up. So, uh, you know, Bell obviously wanted to make his mark uh, and uh, bring in his type of guys, and hopefully that's the case. How many sophomore starters? I mean, of that crew last year, how many of that core are back and and expected to? contribute meaningfully like like if you I, I, I know you probably don't have it at the top of your head but I'm just trying to get a sense of broadly speaking um, percentage of, of the roster that's you know of the starters that are going to be uh, freshmen uh, freshmen sophomores junior seniors sure yeah I mean um, Josh Wallace uh, like I said played really well last year he's a sophomore cornerback uh, he's going to be he's a, he's a captain as well so he's really uh, going to play a lot uh you know, defensive end. You got Tim Moulton, who played a lot last year. Um, he's he's gonna play. He's a redshirt sophomore. Wilson Frederick played some nose tackle last year. He's gonna play. Billy Wooden apparently has gained uh, some decent weight as well um, as a defensive tackle. He's gonna play. Um, oh, uh, Uchenna as a week A, who I think he was injured some uh, last year. Um, unfortunately, uh, he's gonna see a lot of time. Redshirt sophomore. Uh, he's gonna play a lot. I'd be happy to see what he can do. Um, and then, oh, you know, you know, another one. That I, I apologize, I didn't, I didn't think off the top of my head. Noah Boykin, the uh, transfer cornerback from Notre Dame. Um, so we, he, you know, had to sit out last year um, to transfer. But um, yeah, he's apparently been been practicing and playing real well. He's he's had some injury issues um, as well. So we'll see if he can stay healthy. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what he can do at cornerback. He hasn't played pretty much since, like, a senior of high school because he redshirted his first year at Notre Dame and then sat out last year transfer. So, Wait, this um, is a Notre Dame transfer? Yeah, Noah Boykin, yep, cornerback, yep. He, so he had to sit out last year. So it'll be interesting to see what, what uh, he can do back there. Um, That's encouraging. Yeah, yeah and then you got, at the end, you have another guy who's been on the team, what seems like forever, um, was actually a tight end and has moved to defensive end. Uh, Avian uh, Pia, uh, redshirt senior, uh, Whipple recruit. Let me let me uh, just jump in. How do you keep track of all these names? <laughs> I, I have I have good notes and somewhat of a good memory. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I probably my probably just pay way more attention to this than I should. My wife could uh, tell you that. <laughs> no, I'm impressed. I mean, I, it's just there's so many players and there's so much turnover between the rosters that it's like it's hard enough with basketball. I'm just blown away. Um, yeah. Oh, and we got you have you do have a um, I forgot I should mention a transfer. Uh, another guy from Garden City, actually. Um, Garden City Community College in Kansas. Community College, yep, to Holmes. The fa- uh, of course, the, the famous the famous um, Garden City to UMass pipeline. Yes, uh, and they actually they were featured a few games on that um, uh, Netflix JUCO uh, series. Um, so Last Chance U, when uh, Independence uh, Community College was. Oh, interesting. Uh, feature. So Garden City was in a couple episodes of that. But uh, Sean Holmes, uh, he's about 350 pounds, big dude, defensive lineman. Um, he's going to come in and, and help right away in a very, obviously, weak spot in the, um, our team last year. I mean, what we what we need to see from the defensive line is can you not get pushed off the ball 10 yards every play, and can you get some pressure on the quarterback? Because we only had 12 sacks last year. Um and uh, you know a lot of those guys uh, actually aren't on the team anymore, um, and so and our defensive line was just—I mean, it was like in games like Army, where those listen, Army's great at what they do, uh, and they're they're very good last year, they're very good this year, um, but you know their offensive linemen aren't huge. They're very quick, they're fast, but they're not huge. Um, but they were pushing us 10 yards off the ball every single play last year. And it was just, yeah, that's pathetic. That's just an I effort mean, thing to some degree. It's an effort thing, but it's also a size thing. I mean, we were just physically outmanned every game last year. We had guys that just weren't ready yet and being stuck in situations where they had to play because of our numbers. Um, and it was just – we really needed this offseason to get bigger, and apparently from all – uh, reports we have so you know that's what i'll be looking for from the defensive line can they you know hold it because it makes a big difference for the linebackers when you're getting blown 10 yards off the ball as a defensive line your linebackers are getting killed too and you can't get loose to make any tackles so that's gonna be real important to see what happens this year so i mean i guess for me like progress would be you know the bar is pretty low and progress would be not losing these four games 63 to 7 but losing them more like mm, I don't know 42 to 14 um yeah. is that a realistic expectation given the likely opponents yeah i mean i think i think nice progress would be covering the spreads uh, well yeah but of I, course the spreads like I think UMass was like at one point last year they were like one in nine against the spread. I mean it was it was bleak. Yeah, yeah no, it was bad. I mean, I, I mean, I think a lot of people made a lot of money betting the over on every single UMass game, and it wasn't really us scoring the points. Um, or just betting the other team to cover. Yeah, that too. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, I, I think that um, I think we'll be able to keep the score down. It's going to be interesting because unfortunately we're at a disadvantage because. We haven't played any games, and these teams we played, we played like three or four. <laughs> Although, can't you on some level say like we're we're probably healthier? They have probably haven't taken the you know lumps that these teams have. Yeah, 
I guess, but I don't know. I would rather have the advantage of having played some games. But, I mean, I, you want to talk about who we might play? Yeah, I mean, so as far as I know, we've got Georgia Southern this weekend. Uh, Army yeah. seems likely. Uh, FIU or FAU? FAU. So right now, I think uh, Mike Trini kind of did the research on that one. It seems like FAU fits kind of uh, who we might play with the open dates. So yeah, right now Georgia Southern, FAU, and Army. I heard, I've heard that Liberty probably is not on our list because of a, a, a number of uh, Be, because of because of my efforts to make sure we don't play them. Let's just you know. I, I, I think that yeah, listen, that might be part of it. I think a lot of it has to do with the COVID situation as well, and and obviously Liberty maybe not taking things as as uh, seriously as Lib- Liberty not taking any liberties with respect to. Yeah, but um, and then I don't know who the if we do get a fourth game, you know I don't know would it be BYU? I doubt it. I think it'd be one of those like maybe some game that pops up and is available. Are there no FCS teams in the Northeast playing football right now? None in the Northeast. No. Wow, wow. Yeah, all of them are like you know uh, Abilene Christian, uh, Campbell. Uh, sure, just ha- typical household names, standard. Yeah, yeah, Eastern Kentucky, uh, uh, yeah, so it's basically a lot of the schools down south that are southwest that have decided to play three or four games uh, in the fall and then play, play their conference schedule in the spring with the rest of the FCS. Like, and the Pac-12 is still going to play a spring season? No, Pac-12 is going to play. They, they, they announced their season. They're playing this fall. Oh, they are? When, when did that change? So I gotta be honest, like as you can probably tell from this interview, I have in college football. People may not, may not know is like one of my favorite. Well, certainly before I had kids, is one is probably my favorite team sport in the country. Like I just love, you know, nationally it's a sport I follow a little bit. I as you can tell from my tone, I've been I don't want to say cynical or just like I just have found in this moment in history i've just found it very different especially without fans like i've just found it very difficult to like you know this past weekend there were some good football games and you know i sort of started tuning in a little bit but like like what what's the i mean are you feeling a little bit kind of meh about the whole just the whole spectacle right now i mean the fact that you know i don't want to get political but you know kids who are not paid are competing in a high-risk you know climate with i I just like what's your mood what's your what's the mood around all of this right now for me it's a little bit like i don't know man like i've I've said it before it's like if if you beg to play and you make this whole fuss and bamford caves and you get the games and then you go out and you lose 63 to 7 four times i mean that's not a good look for the program long term I, well, are you, you are you specifically talking about UMass, or mm-hmm. you, are you mean college football in general right now? Mm. Excuse me, I'm not feeling great. I just took some Tylenol PM. Um, <laughs> first drug use in the history of the program. Um, so, I'm talking about UMass in particular, but I mean, I, I think it's, I think <laughs> UMass in particular because I. So let me let me just step back for a second. Yeah. UMass is in a unique predicament nationally in the sense that they don't have a conference, right? And so it's an uphill battle 
no matter what. And when you don't have a conference and teams are going to conference-only schedules, it becomes even more nonsensical in a certain, you know, in a certain way. And so, not nonsensical, just it does, it's not inherently logical. Like, there, it's just like, you gotta like, make, you're, you're, you're pressing to make it work, right? Right. And so my question is kind of like, given how much it takes to make it work, and given that there are not students on campus, and given that, you know, UConn is not playing. Is it going to, is this worth it? And is it, and does your opinion change if, yeah, cause I think you'll probably say, yeah, it's marginally worth it as a preseason, as you said. If we go 0-4, 0-3, and we, we lose every game by 56 points or so, what's, where's your head at come, you know, late November? So I would say this. I want to. I want to just be very blunt and say we're not going to win any football games this fall. Okay. So I hope nobody is anticipating winning any football games this fall. We're, we're not. Um, so and, and so I will. The other part of that is we weren't really going to win any football games this fall if COVID hadn't happened and we had a normal season. We were going to maybe win one game. So. The, there isn't much of a change, and the, and the scores, you know, wouldn't have been much different. Um, there's not much of a difference between if we if we hadn't. Okay, uh, that's fair. You know, yeah, so it, 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 playing these four games is important because it's keeping us on the the schedule that we kind of are are getting these guys, you know, these young guys playing some football. Um, you know, 2021 was going to be our first season where you'd say, hey, we should start winning a few games. Um, so in terms of football, I would say, yes, this makes uh, the most sense to do what we're doing. Obviously, can you hold on one second? Can you hold on one second? Yeah. Yeah. Hello. 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 Yeah. Sorry. Keep going. Okay. So, you know, basically with, with the situation with COVID, I think that, you know, yes, I think it's a precarious situation where if we do start having some issues with it, uh, it could definitely look bad. I mean, just everybody's going to point to, well, UConn didn't play and, and maybe they made the right decision. New Mexico State didn't play. Maybe they made the right decision. Um, I think if we can, and the guys seem to have been bought in and are doing a very good job so far, um, if we can stay healthy, um, you know, I think it's going to be uh, definitely worth this season in terms of getting these young guys snaps, getting them playing, getting them ready to go right into spring ball. You're not, you know, you're not losing out on this opportunity for these young guys to get snaps. And then you're moving right into 2021 where we're going to have another pretty good recruiting class, uh, you know, from all signs right now. Um, and and 2021 should be a year where we should start seeing some Ws. There weren't really going to be any this year if we played our regular you know season that we were supposed to have, and there's not going to be any with this short season. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think it, it makes sense, and it, and, you know, and it shows that we are serious about this too. I know that I, I know that that you know it might not mean a lot to some people, but. 
you know, for other people, it's 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 important that you know we are taking this you know move out of the FBS seriously and 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 trying what we can to as an independent get some football games this year. All right, pretty pretty good endorsement of playing. I, I can respect that. Um. The, all right. The big negative would be the only thing that would be bad is if there's some sort of massive COVID breakout on this team, and then we lose every game by 50 points. That's when you're going to see the the total. You know, every guy's going to come out of the woodworks calling for everybody's head. Um, <laughs> that's that. That's when that's when it's time. For, or as what I what I like to say, that's when it's time for basketball season. Right. <laughs> um. All right, so, like, are there any bright spots on this team that could – see, it felt like last year when they were getting beaten so badly, you didn't even have, like, other than maybe an Isaiah Rogers big play, you didn't even have moments where you were like, oh, like, throw that guy a bubble screen and let him go 75 yards and, you know, make it fun for a couple plays. You know, are there are there some guys on this roster that could bust out a big play and make a game interesting for a little while get us an early score and then you know you get a turnover and then all of a sudden it's you know 10-7 you know at going into half is there is there a potential for that yeah i think there could a couple guys that could do that i think that ellis merriweather obviously running back i think he you know his, his highlight tape is very impressive at garden city he's obviously a bigger guy experienced has played junior college um, I think he could break some pretty pretty nice runs uh, and, and make some kind of flashy plays for us. Uh, um, and then O.C. Johnson at wide receiver, you know, he did that a few times last year, actually. And I expect that more from him. And it also in the kick return game um, where we saw Isaiah, uh, you know, excel last year and obviously now in the NFL. Um, those two guys, I think, could, could make some nice flashy plays. I wouldn't be surprised if you if you don't see Josiah Johnson make some nice runs at, at uh, quarterback. I think that's kind of probably going to be in his mix of plays. Bigger dude, played tight end the last two years, but can run. Um, I think that, especially with you know how much pressure we tend to get, um, I think he might be able to break off a few scrambles or even some design runs for uh, quarterback. Um, so those three guys, I think you could see some exciting things from on the offensive end. Okay. This is encouraging. And, 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 and one more, uh, one freshman wide receiver who I would like to see get some nice snaps and I think could make some, his highlight tape from high school is very impressive, uh, is uh, Anoma Dieke, um, who also played basketball, a very good basketball player. Um, I think if he gets uh, some good snaps in here as a freshman, uh, he might be able to make some nice some nice plays as a wide receiver that could be fun to watch as well. All right. Um, what's your prediction for Saturday's game against Georgia Southern? I think the spread is 28.5 right now. Yeah, so score-wise, I think you're looking at like 42-17, something like that. Now, listen, Georgia Southern has not played great. Um, they barely beat Campbell in their first game. Who's FCS uh, and, like, not a very good one. Yeah, FCS, not a very good one. Yeah, on the up, they're getting better. But they they went for a two-point conversion to win the game and missed it. Um, 
So, you know, that was a, just a scraped win by Georgia Southern. Then UL uh, Monroe, uh, they had to stop them on the one-yard line at the end of that game to win that game, Georgia Southern. Um, and then they played a pretty good game against Louisiana Lafayette um, and lost on a, a last-second field goal uh, to Lafayette. So, you know, Georgia Southern isn't great, but they give us problems. And the last time we played them with Shea Wirtz as the quarterback – um, you know, he did a pretty good number on us. So. That dude's still there. That was two years ago, right? <laughs> he is, yeah. Very good runner. Basically, they never throw the football. Triple option team. Um, J.D. King is their leading uh, running back. Um, he's got 370 yards already with three t- touchdowns. Um, and then uh, Wesley Kennedy the third is their backup that runs a lot, too. He's got uh, two touchdowns already. So they're going to try to um, dominate time of possession, and we're going to have to establish the run to, to – to, like, it felt like last year, a po- like, UMass just – you know, they'd be on the field. It'd be, like, th- a lot of three and outs. Yeah. So I think we can, I think we can run the ball on them. Honestly, I think we with our experienced offensive line, their defense is pretty mediocre at Georgia Southern. So yeah, it's we, it's not like they're gonna have like a home meaningful home field advantage. No, I, I think they have they have fans there. Um, but obviously, it's like twenty five percent or whatever. But um, you know, I, I think that we can be able to run the football on them and not get the constant three and outs and just you know, really destroy our defense of being exhausted. So, you know, I'm saying 42-17. Would I be surprised if we keep it a little closer? No. Would I be surprised if all these freshmen and young guys are kind of in over their heads on their first game? Uh, that wouldn't surprise me either. So, you know, it's – it's who knows? It's just like nobody – none of us have seen this team practice. You know, in past years, we've been able to go to spring games, open practices – you know, there's been videos, a lot of, a lot more from reporters and things, the reports from reporters. Um, we don't even know. So my so. one, my one sign is I talked to a source, or you know, who's peripherally connected to the program, who said they went to practice the other day. We're sort of checking it out, and um, that the team looks a lot more like a football team just in terms of size and depth right and you know that's encouraging and i and i have to think that given everything that's happened there will be a a more purposeful um effort made like i know that that's hard to quantify it but it really felt at times last year when i was watching like you know, there wasn't a there wasn't much buzz on the sideline. Like, it just felt like guys were kind of just waiting for it to be over. You know, and this year the short season combined with the fact that they lost the thing they loved, you know, hopefully gives them sort of a just a little bit of an edge and a little bit of an infusion of purpose. And you know, the fact that there's not really I know there's like 25% fans or whatever, but you know, it's not like they're going to be facing a particularly hostile road environment or anything like that. You know, I'm kind of hoping that those things will just, um, you know, that combined with a better offensive line and some guys who can run the ball will just limit the blowout factor a little bit to the point where, you know, you at least stay on the field for a little bit and you, you have some sustained drives. And, you know, as I said, maybe, maybe you go into halftime and it's, you know, fourteen ten. Do they have a kicker? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> we do. Uh, it's our senior. 
Uh, and he's uh, Jeremy Martin, who's been on the team for a while, but he's never had a chance to kick before because um, Cooper Garcia uh, was done such a good job the last couple of years. Um, and then we do have that transfer kid who actually apparently, because he's on the two deep, must have got the waiver cleared, uh, transfer from Maine, uh, uh, Cameron Carson. But Jeremy Martin is going to be our starting kicker. I, you know, I, I asked the question uh, on a couple of the, the uh, Zoom meetings thing, and, you know, he apparently he's been kicking pretty good practice, but we've heard before. Yeah. There's guys who've <laughs> been kicking good in practice. Blake Lucas. So, Blake Lucas kicked good in practice, too. Yeah, and then you got George George punting. So George George is our only punter, and uh, oh, he's he, what is he a junior now? Yep, he's a junior now. He doesn't have to worry about them throwing out some Aussie rules uh, punting uh, gurus. Uh, I think they're gonna let him really punt this year. At least I hope um, they let him really punt. This well, we year. we can say with confidence he'll certainly have uh, plenty of opportunities. And, and then I would be I would be really angry if I do not mention our best player on our football team. So I haven't had a chance to talk about him yet, but our best player on our football team, our, our most likely our, our only player that's going to ever see an NFL field right now. Uh, it's Wait, I'm waiting for it. It's got to be a long snapper, right? It's our long snapper, Evan Deckers. I think he's probably going to win the Patrick Manley Award for the best long snapper in uh, FBS at some point in his career. He's only a sophomore, um, but he is the best long snapper uh, I think in the country. Okay, and, I gotta ask you, Zach. Yeah. How the fuck do you quantify who the best long snapper is in the country? It is one of the most niche skills, and one that unless someone's like snapped notably, like you know, more than one bad ball, uh, you wouldn't even notice it in the first place. Like, how, how do you quantify that? I mean, I think it has to do with how accurate the ball is so you know you'll see these long snappers that get it back there but the holder is reaching for it or having to stand up for a second or whatever but if you watched last year I'm telling you there was not one long snap that this kid didn't have you know like perfect on the bus. and I, maybe I'm wrong maybe there was a couple that were, were, were off but I, I, I'm telling you he's our best player on team but you don't have to worry about a long snap at all it will never be a problem I'm probably just thinking of the poor kid. Oh, he, he's, um, he's, he's botching two this weekend. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm very high on him. Walt Bell is very high on him. He likes to, he likes to talk about Evan Deckers anytime he can. But, uh, yeah, so <laughs> that's, our, that's our special teams. That so. is the most UMassy thing I've ever heard is that, like, on, you know, basically the worst football team in the history of college football last year that we had the best long snapper. He was a five-star long snapper recruit on scholarship. You don't get a you don't get a long snapper that gets recruited on scholarship too often. So you know he was. Well, gonna, I mean, you, you know, it's like given how bad the team was, you had to get a five-star long snapper because he was going to be doing it more than anyone else in the country. Yes, yes, and and we also had a few scholarships that we were just trying to uh, use there at the end of the last last recruiting. Uh, season but uh all right any parting thoughts anything you want to promote any predictions well you've kind of already given those just anything you want to you want to say no i mean i listen i just want people to understand that what this season is i don't want people like uh you know freaking out when when we're losing football games we're not going to win any football games this year if we win a football game this year it'll be an amazing accomplishment honestly i i would be over the moon excited 
<clears throat> I, it's just it's not going to happen. But I, I, last year I predicted two wins, and we obviously ended up with one. I should have been more blunt on the podcast last year with my <laughs> opinion of, of how the season was going to go. But th- everybody needs to calm down and just think of this season as the 2021 preseason. We're going to see a lot of kids getting a lot of chances to play football, a lot of freshmen out there, a lot of sophomores. And this is going to be a good, as long as nobody gets hurt, it's going to be a good three or four games to get ready for 2021. Would you consider um, heading up to Amherst and uh, tearing down the goalposts in the event of a win? If, if, we, bought, if we beat Army, okay, so I think because the Army game is probably going to be in Amherst. If we beat Army uh, in Amherst, I might drive up there and try to tear down a goalpost like two days later if I can get up there. <laughs> I feel like we could do it because there's not a lot of people on campus. And if you do it two days after the fact, you know, look like <laughs> I got to think that the security around McGurk is like, I'll be honest, when I was a kid, um, I would go to... Hebrew day school on Sundays at an Orthodox um, synagogue on campus. Okay, yep. Now, it's interesting because we don't want to get too much into faith on the podcast, but I was never terribly religious. I mean, I respect faith. I go to my wife's Catholic mass and I go to synagogue sometimes, but not Orthodox of any sort. But my dad had a brief phase um, where he was sort of getting more in touch with his faith. He's a bit of a searcher, I'd say. He, You know, we went to, I've talked, we went to a monastery, a Catholic monastery last year in the pod, and he was sort of into uh, the subset of Orthodox Judaism at one point that had a small thing at, on the UMass campus. I point all this out, because when I was about six or seven years old, after every single Hebrew school class, me and my buddies would go to McGurk on Sundays, day after the game, they'd be torn up, and we just walk in and f- play on the field. No security whatsoever. <laughs> this was in, you know, we're talking early 90s. Rini Angolia was the was the star. Right. And I got to think that security, especially during COVID, is not exactly rigorous. So I think, now the problem mechanically, logistically, is tearing down the goalposts with two people would be very hard. Yeah, so goalposts are a lot more difficult these days. To tear. I've I've teared down uh, a goalpost before um, in high school after we won a, a state championship. Uh, we actually tore down our own goalposts that night uh, back at our home field. Now, was this sanctioned activity, or did you do it like secretly? Uh, yeah, it was. You know, well, uh, yeah, I guess it was kind of sanctioned. They knew we were going to do it. Uh, nobody stopped it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of that's kind of weak. <laughs> but those were, you know, pretty easy to knock down. Okay, those are like high school goalposts that are barely standing up to begin with. The goalposts now are probably about like ten feet down in concrete. Um, the ones that get torn down that you see on TV, if you notice, they actually start taking them down uh, before they get torn down. They like let the kids like carry them off. <laughs> yeah, well, so I was actually at UMass in 98. I was in seventh grade for the Lehigh uh, Elite Eight game to get to the, what was, I don't know what they called, they didn't call it Final Four, but, 
And um, I actually got a pile on after the after the field rush that I think I still have at my parents' house to this day. And the um, the goalposts were torn down by you know students or whatever. But I was just off on the side getting a pile on. So I've seen it done. Um, you know, this would be this would be. Did they tear them down after that UNH game in like 06? No, we didn't. No, we didn't. It, we, I, I, it was it was too cold, and uh, I don't think we tried to rush the field. <laughs> that was an ele- What's your favorite game, by the way, ever at McGurk? My favorite game ever at McGurk. Oh boy. Um, probably the JMU game in the pouring rain where Armando Cuco uh, kicked the game-winning field goal off a clump of mud, like a tee made out of mud. <laughs> that was amazing. Wow. That was How many people were still in the stands when he hit that? Like nobody. It was like, it, this was like torrential downpour, all game, cold. Um, at least I think it was cold. I don't remember. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was September. I don't even remember. But it was It was just, that, that kick was like, I don't, there's a picture. Somebody can probably find it. There's a picture online of, of him kicking that, and literally it's off like a tee of mud. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I think I think the um, oh uh, Woodward was the quarterback. I think Scott Woodward. I think Western Mass kid. I think he was the holder in, on that play. I'd have to go back and look at it, but I think he was. was is he still? Was, he's uh, not on the staff anymore, is he? No, he's somewhere else now. I'm not sure where he's at, but he. he, he He's, he's somewhere coaching. Armando Cuco. I'll find that game. I found it right here. I remember him. He was from like, he was an immigrant from like uh, Eastern Europe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, then he, he, tra- he transferred. He transferred to um, USF, I think. And he ended up kicking his last two years at USF. Oh, did he? I think so. You can maybe correct me on that, but I believe that was the case. But uh, yeah, that was probably my favorite game ever at, uh, at McGurk, just because of how because that was a good jam too was that the game when Victor Cruz like went off um no that was at JMU I was at that game too okay that was at oh yeah I was gonna say he he kicked a 39 yarder at James Madison at number seven James Madison that was in his junior year Uh, oh yeah here it is his freshman year yep dramatic game winning kick 41-yard field goal with eight seconds left to lift UMass to a 10-7 win over number four, James Madison. That's wild. I don't really remember that game. That game was nuts. Oh, five. Yeah. So yeah. you were a sophomore. I was a sophomore, yeah. Were they yeah, good? They were great in 06, but I forget where they were. Were they good in 05? Uh, we're okay. We're, we're, we're okay. We made it to the playoffs. I think we lost uh, in the second round. I think it at... Uh, too. I'd have to go back and look. I think we lost in the second round. All right, we've messed around here a lot. And I want to get let you get going, but um, <laughs> what's the future of UMass football realistically in your mind? I mean, there's a lot of critics out there, and they've only grown with COVID. Uh, frankly, at times, yours truly among them, not because I don't want UMass football to be great, but because I think I'm just exasperated with the whole thing right now with COVID, and I just feel like I just have less of an appetite for dealing with... You know, I, I admit, like, I, I was... I took it the wrong way when guys were kind of, you know, fussing about playing on the day that 57 UMass Athletics employees were furloughed. And obviously I want UMass to be successful, but, you know, look, the reality is when you lose a lot, um, 
it's harder. It's just harder, and and you have you have less of a margin for error. And you know, UConn is now not playing, and the Northeast is kind of a wasteland for college football to some extent. BC is playing fairly well right now, but in general, you know, so like, what's the what's the end game here? Where where are we going in the next few years, five years, ten years? I mean, what's your what's your long term vision here? Make the case. It's 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 listen. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the independents, right? So. You got New Mexico State right now. You got Liberty. You got uh, uh, UConn. You got BYU. I'm not counting Notre Dame. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the independent teams. Um, I think it's going to be interesting when we have the new TV contracts that come up. I think it's 2024. I think a lot of the TV contracts come up, so you might see some realignment again. Um, obviously, UMass is kind of been on the lookout for the next round of realignment and that comes up with the tv contracts um can we get to a conference all right so obviously we want to get to the american does the american lose some teams does say cincinnati or ucf or usf do they take off and go play somewhere else and open up some more spots in the american um you know does do we feel comfortable with basketball moving at that point what's up with the a10 at that point is the A-10 going to lose some teams with realignment? You know, is a VCU or a Davidson or a St. Louis going to, you know, take off and go somewhere else? And the A-10 not going to look as, as uh, you know, good as it is now. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. I think UMass is in a good position where they are, are not, um, you know, they're not in a point where they are like, going to go oh crap we got to just cut this whole thing they're in a good position i know financially obviously with covid all things are wacky but we have been actually losing less money than we were when we were one double a um you know so it's not like this is some sort of you know you know oh my god things are are disaster financially um so i we can hold off and 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 see what happens with realignment and when the tv contracts come up again but in terms of win-loss, I think Bell, if these freshmen, uh, who are our best recruiting class ever, um, they get, like I said, they get almost, some of them could be there for six years. I mean, you think about it. You're freshman this year. It doesn't count. You're a freshman again next year. With the new rules, with uh, redshirting, you could play four games next year even and still redshirt and be a redshirt freshman your junior year academically. <laughs> so a guy could play four games this year. Four yep. games next year. And still be a And then 12 freshman. games for the next four years. So you'd be up yes. to 56 games, conceivably two or three bowl games. You're going to be pushing 60 games by the time you're done. That's basically four, almost four NFL seasons. Yeah, so my, my daughter, who just turned four, could be turning nine, and there could still be a guy who's a freshman on this team right now on this team. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. It is wild, but I think I think Bell's got a good plan here. I think I, I'm really happy with everything I've heard him say, and I think recruiting wise, he's got a good idea. Bring in big dudes, bring in big bodies. Uh, you know, get this team into a kind of tough northeast. You know, big defensive line, big offensive line, pound the ball. Um, I, I think he's got a good plan. I don't know if last year he had that idea. I think he may have learned it after last season. Yeah, it's funny because um, I, I was wondering that too when he was on the show. Like, you know, it's what I wonder. Like, did he amend that because of 
you know, challenges he experienced in the first year? Because I, I recall him coming in as like a spread him out guy, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, he was supposed to be when, you know, all reports when we hired him, was he was supposed to go, all right, let's see how many plays we can get. Hurry up offense. Let's go. Move, move, move. Throw a lot of out passes and, and you know, quick, quick, quick. And I think he... I think last year kind of changed his – he probably won't admit that. No, but how can it not? I mean, it's like how can you go through that and not, like, make some modifications to just, like, your existence? Right. Exactly. So I, I think the next couple of years are going to be really big, 2021, 2022. If we can see some real progress with these young guys, which I, I'm excited for them. They're, a lot of them are you – know, they're very good football players, and I've been very happy with watching their – you know, their recruiting tapes and everything. Um, you know, I think 2021 and 2022 are going to be really interesting to see the progress that Bell makes with his team. You got, and, you know, he's got uh, Angelo Miranda's doing the offensive coordinating this year. I don't know if Bell's really going to give up the play calling. I don't, I doubt it. Who knows? Um, but, uh, you know, and then, you know, with our uh, new, uh, well, it was co-defensive, uh, coordinator last year, but Tommy Restivo's defensive coordinator this year. It's a, it's a young coaching staff. They've all been known to be very good recruiters. That's why he brought these guys in. That's why he brought Cato June in to uh, replace, uh, uh, well, kind of the DMV recruiting that uh, uh, Azar Abdul Rahim did that moved to Boston College. You know, so all these guys in this team are known as good recruiters. It's still out to see are they great coaches. Um, we're going to learn a lot in 2021 and 2022. I don't think we're going to learn so much this year. This year is more of let's get some guys reps and get them ready for next season, and that's it. So 2021, 2022, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens with realignment. I think that's 2023 or 2024 with the TV contracts. Um, and then, yeah. You know, who knows? It's nice having UConn as another individual. It is. We, I'd, I'd be fine playing UConn four times a year. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I, listen, we, we might end up playing them twice, depending on uh, what happens schedule-wise. But uh, yeah. we're definitely, we're definitely going to play them every year, I'm sure. All right. Well, I am losing it, uh, both focus right. and, and the rest. Um, thank you for coming on. This was great. And hopefully we'll figure out something this weekend in terms of a Twitch or a live stream or something where we can all get together. Fuck around, crack some jokes, open some beers, and uh, what time is the game? Is it 4? 4 o'clock on uh, ESPNU. Yeah, I don't love that. I wish it was a 7 o'clock start. When you have little kids, it's tougher. Uh, a 4 on a Saturday in October, you don't get many of those. And yeah, 4 is going to be a, a little bit uh, kind of right before bed. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. When you're, when you're, Zach and I, for those who don't know, share a birthday down to the year and uh, have kids in ver- of very similar ages. So um, it's not an ideal start time, but uh, you know, I, I leave, if nothing else, I may come in at 6 p.m. and just start cracking jokes, even if we're down. Actually, it would probably be better if we're down to 35 nothing. So um, if others, if people have ideas, jump in the DMs, help set it up technically, and we'll we'll make some we'll make some fun of it. Absolutely, yeah. I look forward to seeing some games this year and uh, and seeing the progress that. Uh, young guys make so all right zach thanks for coming on all right thanks dude ciao this girl from my past have ridiculous ass she attended you mass and she passed every class walked down the hall let's go to the mailbag thank you again to the fine folks at five college movers world-class moving stress-free in the pioneer valley 
and beyond. If you're moving pretty much anywhere in New England, they'll take care of you. Call Pat and the gang. Tell them we sent you. Friends of the show. Friends of the program. Friends of the people. Five college movers. Call them today. All right. Here's what we got. And I've been vowing to do a mailbag for, I don't know, like two months. So I apologize. I've taken questions on Twitter and sort of, uh, I've sort of been a bit of a tease. Sort of just the tipped it, if you will. Um, anyway, what do we got? Uh, Mike, real Mike R91. He says, other than Pat Kelsey, who is to blame for the downfall of UMass Tennis? Truly a tragic story about a group of young ladies who fought so hard for a 2017 Atlantic 10 title over the Rams of VCU, only to have it vacated by a brutal bureaucracy that has taken the accomplishments of those young women and relegated it to the dustbin of history. Simply a tragedy. Who is to blame for the of tennis? I am, as a booster who is uh, personally uh, giving $25,000 payments to some of the finest uh, women's doubles players in America, taking them off of the U.S. Juniors Tour and funneling them into the collegiate game and taking them away from the uh, national tour where they typically start as they're younger. I, I am wholly to blame, and I am so sorry. I, I simply, you know, my, my quest and desire for a women's tennis uh, Atlantic 10 championship at UMass simply overrode uh, the logical part of my brain and I'll never be able to make that up so I just want to apologize to the fans and all of the listeners of the UMass women's tennis podcast and uh, it's just there's there's, there's just I, I, I can hardly look in the mirror but I will say this watching them make that run and beating VCU in 2017 was one of the great moments of my life, and I, I don't regret that. You know, uh, it, it's it's obviously hard to see that those wins have since been vacated, and that you know VCU will likely reclaim that banner as they did with the uh, NIT banner that they hung up for. Uh, no, no, what was it? What was it? It was like they hung up like a national ranking banner for hoops. That's what that's what the meme is that everyone make, always makes fun of them for. Anyway, uh, Greg Ledger. The great engineer from suburban uh, Maryland. Actually, I was down there last weekend. I should have hit up you and I should have hit up Bennett um, because I was there. I played pitch and putt in Bowie, Maryland, or maybe Gambrill, that area. Got some family down there um, and also went and visited my buddy in Baltimore. Anyhow, speaking of pitch and putt, I just want to tell people I had the greatest performance of my life. I shot a 59 last night. Five over, 54 par, par three course. It was the most orgasmic feeling I've had. I'm not going to lie. It Playing golf that at that level, I'm new to the game, but I'm like obsessed. Unlike anything except maybe UMass basketball and my children. My wife, of course. Um, that performance and burying a birdie putt to go under 60... It's better than, I would say, 90% of the sex I've had. I mean, now I'm getting it. This is too much. It's been a long week. Don't get me wrong. I I don't need to get in my sex life. Uh, My point is, 
that's a great feeling. That's a great, great feeling. And, you know, I, I just encourage uh, golfers know. I mean, golfers know. And, and it's such a trite and cliche thing where people say, yeah, it's better than sex. Well, no, not much is better than good sex. Not much is. But when you, you know, because I've played pitch and putt in the last three weeks at this place in, New, in Queens. I shot a 76, a 67, a 76, and then I hit a 59. That's fucking good, dude. I, I parred the first five, and I was like, I started getting shook. Fun fact, not really a fun fact. I get to the ninth hole, and it's like the longest hole in the course. It's like 95 yards. The course is between 40 and 95, 100 yards. Straight away, I hit it like nobody here wants to hear about my golf game, but just hear the story. I hit it far to the left, and it's like probably a it's probably a 45 foot putt for birdie. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to two-putt it, hopefully, if I'm lucky here. I fucking hit a perfect putt. And I'm, like, a little off the green, actually. So, like, it was a hard putt. Like, I, I didn't want to use – I didn't want to chip it, but – because I was, like, in, you know, a foot off. So it was a little bumpier grass, and I just hit a – no, I might have been, like, six feet off, actually. But I still went with the putter. Beautiful shot. Like, no joke – Two, three feet from the hole, not even. Like a 95, 99, 98% accurate putt. I've been phenomenal all night. I'm going for birdie. No, maybe no, maybe I'm going for at this point. Yeah, maybe I'm going for birdie. I literally, I got up to the hole and some sick part of my brain told me, I heard this in my brain. This is how fucking crazy psychologically golf is. And this is, I think, why I'm drawn to it. Because I've been trying to meditate lately, and, like, golf is the real meditation for me, if we're being candid. And I said, you don't deserve to make it. In my brain. My brain said that, like, involuntarily. Like, some sick shit, man. Like, a depressive streak or something just said that. And lo and behold, I missed the putt. So I end up with a 30 on the front nine. And... I literally fell to the ground and just involuntarily emoted with the, like, pangs of just, like, screams. Like, like if you've ever, honestly, it was so fucked up, like, I couldn't fake it. It was, like, grief, like, golfers know and I never got it I was like these people are nuts you're playing like flawless golf and you hit like a brilliant shot and all you gotta do is tap it in from two feet and that happens you just, like you lose your mind For and it only, only lost my mind for probably I don't know 45 seconds but I lost my mind my friend who was with me was like thank god I was my best friend since childhood he's like Dude, you you he's like that was that was nuts, and he actually started Instagramming it, and there's video of me like pulling my shirt after I got up from the ground because I hit the deck. I'm like, no, hit the deck. Then I stand up, I pull the shirt over my face, like so you can see my bare chest, which looks surprisingly good on Instagram to the point that this like 
pretty hot chick we grew up with from Longmeadow. Well, she was like a private school girl. Went to Williston. She actually saw the pic, and it's kind of distant. And she's like, whoa, Sage is ripped. She didn't say Sage. Had to talk to her. She's like, is that Sage? He's look. He looks ripped. And I'm not, but like in that image, I was sufficiently far away. So there, so there was some good came of that. Anyway, what an incredible digression. One of the all-time digressions on this program. I slept four hours last night because I got home from golf at uh, 1 a.m. Because I was just driving, like looking at the skyline, high on my performance. Like that's how happy I was. Literally like missed the Google map directions like four times. Just like drove along like the Queens part of Manhattan, the Queens side and like looked at the Manhattan skyline like six times. Uh, so it's been a weird day. So I, I'm rambling. You're catching me on a strange night. But uh, let's get to the question. Greg says, would you visit Bana during these COVID times? Is that better, equal to, or worse than going anywhere in Florida right now? IMHO, in my humble opinion, we should kick out Florida and introduce PR and DC estate. So that question was almost as digressive as my uh, pre-answer. Actually, it wasn't nearly as bad. Uh, it's a good set of questions, though. Would I visit Bonner during these COVID times? So I've talked about UMass was not set to play at Bonner this season. They're set to play their next season. And so I was vowing to go and meet some of our Bana friends from Twitter. And I hope a bunch of us can make that trip. I'm serious. I really I really want to do it. Um, but I would go this year if UMass were playing there and I could watch the game. I 100% would. Um, yeah, like if I could get there and it was like relatively easy. I'm not sure I'd do like a six-hour drive through the snow. Um, but like if you could get me there. You know, with a flight and it was funded, let's say, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Uh, is that better, equal to, or worse than going anywhere in Florida right now? It's it's worse. I mean, like, I'm sure it's awful down in Florida with the COVID stuff. Like, I don't know. I haven't looked at the stats, but Miami's a fun town, man. Miami's a fun town. And there's other parts of Florida that are fun. And there's like, Florida's like easy to dunk on because there's just such wild, dumb shit in Florida, even by. The standards of like lots of states that have dumb shit, including Massachusetts and everywhere else. But Florida has some like wild shit. You're just like, wow, you know, Florida man does does Florida things, you know, and it's just, you know, but it's also hot. And I love the what I love warm weather and I can golf. Like You can't golf at Bonnie. I, I could probably golf at Bonnie right now. You think there's golfing in Bonnie? Yeah, there probably is. I'm going to look that up, actually. Because it's probably only a, you probably only golf there like six weeks a year. I mean, there's snow on the ground in July, so I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if we need to kick Florida out of the union, but uh, I'm all for making lots of places states. So I'm with you there. Eric Friedlander, E Fried ninety seven, of course, the New York Red Bulls scholar and gentleman says you get one shot to commit an NCAA violation without punishment. What are you doing? I'm giving a hundred grand to tennis to women's tennis players. Um, no, I mean any violation without penalty. Well, that so the big one there. I mean, it's obviously like that's where you got to have money. So you know, I I do okay. I, I you know, I mean, like I'm providing for my family alongside my wife. I'm not, you know, broke. Thank God. Although daycare in New York is fucking insane, but I'm doing fine. 
But I'm saying like that's where you got to have like millions of dollars. So what violation could I commit that would like yield a meaningful impact for UMass? I might like forge paperwork for a good player that needed a transcript fudged if I felt that he had, you know, ethically, if I felt that 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 it merited it, not just as a fan, but I think sometimes there are circumstances where, you know, a teacher fucked a kid or something, and not not literally fucked, but you know, screwed them over. Um, if a teacher fucked a kid and that was preventing him from playing, I'd you know I'd do whatever I could to you know fix that problem as well. Uh, you know, maybe sleep with the teacher. Is that if if I'm on I'm on one right now. I am fully on one. I don't know what I'm saying. Bennett, maybe cut that. Um, yeah, no. In all seriousness, um, I guess. <sighs> I yeah, I'd probably forge some paperwork for a kid if he got really you know ruined by uh, some. Pro- I don't know what could I do. Um, like maybe you know what, I'd like write papers for a kid. If I could, you know, for a class to keep him eligible, probably pull that. But then, you know, I'd probably do something ethical to, like, make sure that he understood I was only doing it because it was a product of a flawed system and I want him to become accountable and blah, blah, blah. Um, It's the kind of stuff, like, if I run for political office, this entire episode just, like, ruined me. So... Kindly don't share it uh, when I, you know. Okay, let's see. Somebody made a joke. Uh, David Waraska, I think he's a VCU fan. He said, what's your least favorite VCU banner? That's a joke because they hang, they hung a banner for, like, being ranked one year. Was it that they were, like, I honestly think it might have been, like, others receiving votes. And, like, they were, like, they fucking hung a banner. Um, let's see what else we got here. Another one from Greg, he says, you can design your own coach as you can in a video game. I never play video games, so that's going to be hard. Total of strengths equals 100. What is your ideal coach? I'm thinking following categories, recruiting, game planning, in-game X's and O's, defense and offense, and ability to motivate. Yeah. Okay, it's a great question. We've we've touched on things like this on the program before. So I kind of broke the categories down more into, like, culture building, in-game X's and O's, player development and recruiting so i think it starts and ends the recruiting you gotta get players and that doesn't mean you have to like get the best players but it means you have to get the right players so understanding so it's like recruiting so in a certain sense that's talent evaluation too so like recruiting and evaluation to me is like 50 percent x's and o's is like 15 percent you gotta have it don't get me wrong, but I think there are coaches who have great X's and O's and it's like cool, but you don't have players and they don't really play hard for you and you're not, you know, so you can have the best playbook in America, but if you don't have the players to execute it, it doesn't really matter. By the same token, I wouldn't put it at like, if we're talking in the A10 context, I would put it at 10, 15 because you still got to like know how to design a play and get a bucket when you need one because a lot of those games 
are going to be close games. So I'd say like 50% talent evaluation, 10 to 15% XEOs in game. And ability to motivate, I kind of consider a part of culture and just like getting buy in. So culture slash motivation, I put it like 25. It's like 75 and then like 10, 85. So we're looking at like 10, 15% left over for, um, for what well, game planning? I, I think game planning is in the X's and O's category. Um, you know, I kind of put that in a broad camp of like, just, you know, I mean, or you could put a little bit of that in like, culture too because like if guys are locked in that's part of a good culture but i basically say like you got to have a solid culture as cliche a term as that is you've got to have buy-in and the right kids and whatever so you know cultivating culture and is yeah and then the last thing i was gonna say was um player development is big especially in the a10 it's actually probably give more to that but generally, if you're like a great X and O's guy, you're thoughtful about the game itself and you're going to be good at development. And development falls under motivation too. So I, I don't know. I, I just think like recruiting is 50% of the puzzle. Player development is like another fourth. And then like all of the in-game XO stuff it, and is, is um, another fourth. But then overlaying all of that or rather you could say like serving as the the building block the foundation if you will for all of that is like the culture piece which kind of ties into everything so i don't know that might be a bit of a cop out uh okay michael bergman says construct a lineup with a all a10 coaches this is a great question one of the better ones we've had in a while Starting five, bench five, cut four. Ooh, ooh. Well, if we're talking right now, which I presume he is, you know, age is going to be a big factor. So, like, McCall, even though he wasn't much of a player, he's decent enough, I understand. You know, could have, was like a preferred walk-on sort of thing at, like, Stetson, which is a D1 program. Yeah, so he probably makes a cut because he's under 40. Um... I have a hard I, – I think Jeff Neubauer was like – played at LaSalle maybe back in the day. Mooney played at Princeton. Bob McKillop's old. I, I forget where he played, but he's like pushing 70. So he's out. Um, Keith Dambrot, I don't know where he hooped. His dad played at Duquesne when they were up number one in the country in the 50s. That's how they got him back to Duquesne. I don't want to play into stereotypes, but I found out today he's Jewish. Um, Jews used to be really fucking good at basketball, by the way. People don't know that. So just FYI, you know, me and Bennett's people could ball. Catholics and Jews, you know, as as what we'll call ethnics, you know, Catholic ethnics and Jews ethnics, like, in other words, like non-Protestants in this country were were like you know, for the better part of the 20th century, or certainly the first half and the last latter part of the 19th, you know, so Italians, Irish, Polish, whatever, uh, were, were, you know, immigrant 
strivers and, and were drawn to, to hoops. So that's where you get like all these Catholic schools with good hoop traditions and Jews too. Red Auerbach, Jewish, um, you know, and then as 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 they became uh, more acculturated into American life and, you know, the, 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 the value on like intense sports competition while still there to an extent, it's just not what it was. You know, I mean, there were all these great Jewish boxers. It was a different era. Um, so, but I still am playing into stereotypes and I'm saying, eh, he's like 61 and kind of a short Jewish guy. So like, I don't think he could be that good. Um, Travis Ford could probably still ball. So I'm knocking off Dambrot and I'm knocking off, um, and I'm knocking off, uh, McKillop right away. I don't remember where Jamie and Christian went. I don't remember where David Cox went. Travis Ford balled at Kentucky and probably is still decent. He could still probably bury free throws, which is ironic because he has the worst, worst free throw shooting team in America. Anthony Grant balled at Davidson in the 80s was good. Ashley Howard, I don't know where he went. Billy Lang, I, I just feel like Billy Lang can't be that good. Like, I, I don't know where he went, but maybe I think maybe it was at the Naval I don't know. He coached in the Naval Academy. He, he can't be that good. I'm knocking him out. And Jeff, and where did Mike Rhodes go from VCU? Let's see. I feel like I, he's like, seems to be a candidate for knocking him out. I'm looking right now. Um, he's 48, so it's not that old. Okay, he went to Lebanon Valley, which, believe it or not, was a dynastic D3 program back in the day. I want to say, yeah, look, he, he was, yeah, he led them to the national title in 94. Um, still holds the records for assists, steals, and three and free throw percentage. And I'm, there was a dude on that roster who was literally the best player in Europe, in Spain, for, like, a long period of time, like, outdoing NBA dudes. His name eludes me. Rhodes was a two-time All-American and a 95 National Player of the Year. Damn. And that's almost like in a weird way. Because it's still the 90s. Fuck, you, you went to college in 95 and you're 48? I guess 48's not even that much older than me. My God, 48 sounds old. I'm 35 and it sounds way younger, right? I don't know, but I bet he could ball. I bet he could still ball. Um, wow. Okay, interesting. I bet he's better than some of these D1 dudes. I'm telling you. Um, all right, let's see. Where did Ashley Howard go? And how old is he? This is a long question, and I apologize, but I like it. So you, you can fast forward ahead, but I'm drawn to this question. Ashley Howard's youngish. So he is... Can't be okay. He played at Drexel and graduated in 02. So weird to me, man, that like 02, you could play hoops this millennium. Like, I, you know, because my formative hoops memories are the 90s, like the late 90s. So if you played in the 2000s, you were already like, I was no longer a kid watching you. I was like an early teenager, 11, 12. So. Bennett just texted asking when I'm recording the mailbag right now, dude. Let me just text him back right now. Everything else is ready to go as soon as you send it. Nice. Um, all right. So I guess if he was 
hooped at Drexel. Okay, averaged 8.9 points and a team high 4.9 assists. So he can ball. He's on the roster. He's only like, you know, 40-41, so he's there. Um Mooney. He played at Princeton in the 80s, you know, so he's getting up there. Dave Paulson, I think, played at Williams, and he's got to be in his 50s now. D3, dominant power, but I'm going to cut him. And Mark Schmidt, he's getting up there in age. He's close to 60, but he's tough, and he played at BC. But it just age is a factor here. You know I mean? Age is a huge factor. So I'm going to cut him. My starters. I mean, Travis Ford's like 50, so I'm not going to start him. I'd probably start Ashley Howard at the 1. I would go with – I bet you Rhodes just can still ball. He just has that, like, you know, white guy at the Y energy. You know, like he just – he's just got it. I, I think he, he's going to start um, in the backcourt maybe. Jamion Christian doesn't look like much of a player, but he's young and he is, like, kind of jacked. So I'm looking him up right now. Yeah, he's young as fuck. Okay, so he's like, he's only 38. So, and he played at Mount St. Mary's three-year captain when they were pretty good. I remember those teams. They made the tournament, I think. Um, yeah, so like, he's still in good shape. He's starting. Probably going. We're probably going like a five-guard offense. So Ashley Howard, Jamie and Christian, um... Where the fuck did David Cox play? Did he play anywhere? Rhodey's coach. That's a good question. URI. David Cox. Where did he play? Because he's 47, but he looks like he's like 54. You know, and there's like a big difference. William and Mary in the 90s. All right. All right. So he could ball. He could ball. Eighth all-time in assists. These guys were good players. So he's got to be in there. And then... I just refuse to... I'm going to just throw Travis Ford in there because he did play at Kentucky. Like, he's just... You know, I mean, I'm just going to give it to him. So basically all guards. And then the other guys who I didn't mention would be your bench. Billy Lang, the St. Joe's coach. I don't know much about his background. He's 48... And he played at Rowan, which was a D3 power in the early 90s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think, in fact, John Giannini, former LaSalle coach, might have been the head coach there. He might have won a national title. Um, let's see. He played collegiately at Rowan. Doesn't say much beyond that. Um, so, yeah, he's off the bench. All right. Great question. Really fun for me, probably for no one else listening. Um, okay. <clears throat> Chris Scherer says, three versus three round robin tournament, who wins? Here are your teams. This is a good question. This is a great fucking question. Good questions tonight. Getting the season started off right. I mean the podcast season, not the hoops. Trey, McCrory, and Colton. Gasparini, Garcia and Weeks. That's a, these are good. This is very, very well uh, great. This is a lot of thought in this question. I don't know who this guy is. Honestly, 
Chris Scherer, this question alone, I'm following him. I was going to give him a dramatic follower just now, but I'm already one of his eight followers, so it just shows I have great taste because I already recognize his dynamism. But you should follow him. CPS underscore 93. Presumably it was born in 1993, so maybe graduated UMass in 15 or something. Um, Trey, okay, so then the next team, Fernandez, DeGray, and Walker. Final team, Pierre Santos Dominguez. Now, I'm I'm knocking that team out right away because Pierre Santos and Dominguez are all um like thin three-point shooters. So like they don't have enough. You might say, "Oh, they have a lot of versatility. They'll hit threes, so if we're playing with ones and twos and you know, they could but they don't have a guard and they don't have physicality." So like Every other team has a big that would really hurt them and or, like, a, a, a guard that could hurt them. So they're out. Sorry, fellas. Fernandez, DeGray, and Walker is an interesting squad because it's a very, um, it's a very uh, versatile group. So Fernandez can get in the lane and he can shoot. DeGray and Walker can also both shoot but have some size. So that's a dangerous roster. I'm not knocking him off yet. Gasparini, Garcia, and Weeks. Now, that is an enormously compelling three-on-three team, which is why I like the question, okay? Because the best penetrator on the team is Garcia. The best pure shooter is Weeks. And you have a legitimate like almost seven foot dude who can hit a hook shot. Dangerous team. I'm going to say that's a better team because of the diversity of skill sets and the. Uh, see, they don't have a lockdown defender. TJ's actually a pretty good defender. Actually, and Garcia's a good defender. What am I talking about? That's a good team. First, Fernandez team now out because of that. That's it. Okay. Now, a lot of people would be like, okay, Colton and McCrory, that's sort of like your 11th and 12th man and then your best player. Not so fast. Here's the thing. McCrory's been playing great in practice from people I've spoken to. The unique thing about McCrory is that he's the biggest He's been described by someone I trust, a couple people, as among or if not the biggest matchup problem on the team. Now, I don't want to get it twisted. It doesn't mean he's going to start or even be higher than the ninth man or tenth man to start the season. But he's a throwback. He is a he is a physical like matchup nightmare because he's like six five, six six, very strong, not a great three point shooter. So if you're playing in ones, he's a more compelling asset, but he's a very good three-on-three three three player, presumably, because he's hard to guard and he can and he can hit like little mid-range stuff. And so if you're playing all ones, he's dangerous. That being said, there's not – other than Trey, you don't have a real shooter on this team, and Trey's going to need to play down low to some extent. Being said, Trey might just go off and get his get his buckets and keep the team in it. Problem is, if they double triple team him, 
I'm not feeling great about those guys, you know, shooting threes. So I think the champs here are probably Gasparini, Garcia, and Weeks because Garcia gets downhill and forces help defense and kicks it, and TJ is a bucket. And if they draw help the other way, Gasparini's there, you know, other than Trey, there's nobody else on the team who's going to be able to stop him in a three-on-three game, you know? So that's my champs, and a really fantastic question. Um, Greg Ledger, again. Are you watching the game tomorrow, the football game? So I plan to, but it's going to be a little tricky because, like, 4 p.m. is a bad time, as I talked about with Zach, you know, so... My kids, we sort of start bedtime at, like, we start the process at, like, 6.15 with baths. So it's just going to be, it's just going to be a tricky spot. Like, my wife's going to be, like, cooking, and she's going to be pissed if I'm, like, turning on a football game. And my TV's actually been fucked up for all of COVID. I've been watching, I actually need to cancel my cable cord cut because I watch everything on, on um, my computer. So I'll probably definitely have it on the computer. And like, I'll, and you know what? I'll let my kid watch a bit with me because he's not into sports yet, but he's obsessed with scoreboards. So I'll be like, yeah, yeah, watch the scoreboard. Watch as much as you want. And then if they go down 21 nothing in the first quarter, it's going to be hard. But then by the time he starts his quiet time after our, um, you know, so we'll do dinner and then like quiet time. My wife's got, is like on point with the fucking structures. Like it's, if you ever need tips, no joke, like, I know it's like boasting because like nobody wants to be told how to parent and it's condescending as fuck. But my wife's parenting game in terms of like those structures, she literally read like, my wife's very smart. Like I'm not boasting. Like she probably has, not to say I'm smart, verbally I'm smart, but like she probably has 35 IQ points on me, 30 maybe. She'd be like cringing if I said that because she like doesn't believe in IQ, but that's what like the real geniuses say. You know, because they're like, they can transcend that. They're not insecure like the rest of us. But anyway, um, so the point is, structure-wise, the kids then have, or my my older one has, um, like, silent time or whatever, like, quiet time. He goes in our room. He shares a room with his brother. So he goes in in our room, and then, um, like, I'll be in the living room. So he'll be in there from, like, 6.15 to, like, 7.30 7.30 when he goes to bed and he has like he reads by himself and then I'll go in and read him a book or whatever so like I'll have to bop in there for a bit but like if it's a close game I'll be, I'll be there you know like what would suck is if it's like really close and they're about to kick a field goal and then it's like 7.30 and I gotta bring him to his room for oh you know what fuck I told him we're gonna have a sleepover tomorrow night we do it like once every six weeks or eight weeks and we just like play funny games and then I crash in his bed when he falls asleep and it's the most uncomfortable. Like, I'm in a bunk bed, the lower part of a bunk bed. My kid's in the crib next to him, and I'm like, I have the worst sleep of my life, and then Sunday's going to suck. So I shouldn't have made that promise, but whatever. Dad's got a dad. Um, okay. Um, are there any other questions? Let's see. Got some good ones tonight. They came in, they trickled in slowly, but they were good. Where did you actually think the NCAA violation was before you heard? Triggered Burke, which is one of the best um, 
names on the site for newcomers. Trigger Burke was up, has his number retired. Booster, um, so it's a funny, it's just a funny play on that. What did I actually think the NCAA violation was? So I, I thought it might have had to do with the Louisiana recruits, maybe. Um, but I actually thought it could be some dumb paperwork shit. Like I really did. Um, there are these people like reflexively think, oh, it might be a Bergeron thing because he got all his kids. But no, I'm telling you, Tony, Tony is an asshole in other ways. He's not a shady recruiter. Um, let's see. Uh, I just was told I made the ticker. I don't know what that's referring to. So cool. Thanks, Jack. Um, Tony underscore two underscore touch says, will UMass football win a game this shortened season? No. And that's a good way to end it. So uh, as Cal Mass used to say, a.k.a. A. Kalegi, a.k.a. Andrew Calgi, love you. We out.